on that note. Good morning. New use for panties. Just, you know, you know. Do people call them that anymore? Panties? Good morning. Welcome to Mosaic. Um, if you don't know, my name's Aaron, and uh, I'm one of the one of the pastors here. Um, congratulations on making it, by the way, this morning. Do you have trouble? Who's like who didn't take the longest? How long did it take you to get here? Anybody to take a long time? How long? You had to run over three joggers. That's right. That's great. Okay, so <laughs> cops, cops are looking for you right now. Well, it's always an interesting week, marathon week for us at Mosaic. I mean, last year was the first year. This year is the second year. Um, last year, we had one of our, our amps caught on fire while we were setting up and sound testing. So that was exciting. Memorable Mosaic moment. Um, and then Galvin, actually, and uh, Jacob on the drums and keys, it took them... How long was it? Like an hour, hour and a half to get here this morning. So they actually didn't get to practice this morning. So that, with no practice, is pretty awesome. So, yeah, pretty cool. Do we have any, uh, do we have any graduates who graduated this weekend? Anybody? Yeah, well done. Way to finish. It only took me like eight years. I don't know how long it took you. But lots of people go to school for ten years, right? Oh, they called doctors. <laughs> Thanks. We didn't practice that, by the way. That's my wife. Well, hey, we um, started a new series here uh, a few weeks ago and uh, called B. And kind of the, the big idea of the series is kind of stepping away from sometimes this focus on what God wants you to do and do and do and do and do. Um, and really take a focused look at who God has created you to be. And with the intention of if we can just wrap our minds around who God has created us to be, then the do uh, really will begin to take care of itself as we begin to, to live and to move out of who we are uniquely created to be. And one of the best pictures I think that we get of, of kind of this raw, stripped down version and picture and glimpse of who we've been created to be is to look at kids. And uh, kids, are, kids are awesome. I love being a dad. I'm learning all the time and watching them. And you get like these glimpses of just profound moments. You know, like you look at kids and there's these certain moments where you get a glimpse of like this seemingly just purity and innocence. Right? It's something that I think goes away somewhere around the teenage years. But when they're kids, you get like this, these glimpses of just this, like just purity. You know, like who can spoil this? This is amazing. We look in their eyes. You just have no idea the realities of the world yet, you know? You get this glimpse at moments of, like, this childlike faith where they're really naive to reality, but they look at you and they fully trust you and love you in that moment. You get this picture of childlike faith. Or sometimes you get these glimpses of just, like, just raw honesty, you know? And they don't understand there's certain things you don't say. They might be true, but you don't say them, you know? So, like, Megan recently was looking in the mirror and trying to cover up some stuff she had going on, and <laughs> under the bus, under the bus, <laughs> and Paige goes, Mommy, what's, what's that? And she's like, it's, thank you, hon, it's, it's a zit. And Paige goes, too much all over. <laughs> and I was like, Paige, don't say that, you know, even if it's true, you don't say that. You know, or we've been in the grocery store, and there'll be a gal who's pregnant, you know. You know, you're just never sure 
So you don't say anything. Obviously, even if it's obvious, you just don't say it. You know, and Paige is like, Mommy, her tummy is full of food. You know, it's like, no, you don't say that, you know? They just don't know. You know, or when we get like glimpses, if you throw like a, a single Oreo into a group of toddlers, you get a picture of our depravity, like really fast. You know, it's a survival of the fittest. Sharing goes out the window. And you get a glimpse of that. But where I want to hone in this morning as we talk about who we are is, is this thing that we see in the kids, this just seemingly unbridled creativity. Just unbridled creativity. You know, this last week we were up in Minneapolis, and uh, I'm a continuing student at Bethel Seminary, so I was taking classes because I want to be a pastor when I grow up. And uh, so we are up there, and the girls came up with me, and so we were at a hotel, and, uh, and so I'm, you know, often working on papers in the evenings and trying to finish up my work for the week. And the girls, it's just awesome watching them, because they're in a hotel room. Like, there's nothing less entertaining than a hotel room. Uh, but if you, if you were to close your eyes and listen to them, you would have thought like, they just had the run of Chuck E. Cheese or Toys R Us, like the laughter and the noise and the, and the playing and the imagination, you know, but all they had was like an ice bucket and two mini shampoo bottles, you know, but the world is just their playground. And so I'm watching them uh, and just kind of enjoying through them, watching them like the, the bed, you know, turns into a life raft and, and the floor turns into, you know, hot lava and, and then the suitcase becomes a pony. You know, and their recliner becomes a mountain, and they're inviting Megan and I into this, and, and we're playing with them, and then we continue talking, and they just keep on going. And it's just, you know, the world is their playground, limited only by imagination. And you, you just see this beautiful picture of creativity. And the thing I love about this, this picture is nobody has, to, nobody has to teach kids to use their imagination, right, or to lose themselves in hours of playing games that they just made up. Or they just do it. Right? Nobody has to teach kids to, to be creative, because they just are. And at the core of our being, you and I, is this intrinsic, God-given creativity. And in fact, this is everywhere in the scriptures, and one of the best places and most clear places to look is just to rewind and go right to creation uh, in Genesis chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, actually I think i got the words up here too, Genesis uh, chapter 2, God, this creator, creative God has created the heavens and the earth, filled them with all types of diversity and living creatures, and then this is what we're told um, God does in chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Right, so we have this very profound moment where no sooner is man created than God actually invites him into the creative process. Right, God doesn't have to do that, but he does. And he chooses to. And it's such a cool picture that God brings the animals to man to see what he would name them. Right? He, he gives them, God gives them form and, and shape and function. But he invites us, he invites man to give them an identity, to give them a name. You know, and right after this, God gives them the earth. And he says, you know, go forth, multiply. But he doesn't give them this blueprint of what, what life is supposed to look like. He tells them one thing they're not supposed to do, but the rest is just given to them with freedom to use their creativity. He's not, he doesn't tell them, this is exactly how you need to survive. This is exactly how you need to live. This is where you need to go. This is how you need to relate to one another. This is how you need to fill your days. 
Instead, God gives them the earth as their playground and says, go, create. Gives them almost boundless freedom to use their creativity except for just one thing. And so at the core of who we are is this intrinsic creativity, this reflection of our creator God to, like him, uh, be creative. Right? It's part of what it means to be human. Like, take, for example, music. Right? We don't need to make music. Right? In an evolutionary, Darwinian sense, Right? Music does not serve any practical purpose. We don't need it to survive. Our bodies don't need it. We don't need to make music, but we do. Right? We don't need to dance or to sing, but we do. Right? We don't have to, to, to paint, and we don't have to write, and we don't have to redesign the living room, but we do all the time, right? Some more than others. Right? We don't have to, to build and design and make the microchips smaller, but we do. Right? We don't have to uh, constantly create. We don't have to, to start new businesses. And we don't have to initiate new conversations. We don't have to develop new relationships, set new goals, attempt new things. But we do all the time. It's just a part of who we are. This ability, this innate creativity. But of course, some people use it more than others. And, and nobody can force you to create. It's, if it's a part of who you are, then how do we measure whether we're being faithful with that gift. All right, so I'll ask you a question. So Mike here, my buddy Mike, my brother, is uh, painting for us. And would you say that Mike is an artist? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? How do you know he's an artist? What's the distinctive mark? How do you know? Because he's the bomb. Because he's the bomb? True. <laughs> he is the bomb. Yes, because he is. What was that in his day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that how we know he's an artist, right? He looks good, really good. He's a stud, he's got the glasses, he's got the toms. Right? Is that what makes the artist? Right? Of course not, right? Elizabeth, hit it on the money. Right? We know he's an artist because he's creating art. He's making art. Right? There is a fruit to his craft. We can see the art. He's obviously a creative. Right? There is there is a generative quality that we can see the fruit of. And, and the biblical term for this, for using creativity in a faithful way, is fruit. It's fruitfulness. And so what is fruitfulness, and how, how much does this really matter to God? Right? Is this just a conversation, because Mosaic's kind of a, a creative church, is that why we're having this conversation, or does it, does it matter? And if so, how much? So to answer that question, I want to go to Luke 13 this morning. Luke 13, if you have your Bibles. I'm also going to throw it up on the screen. Now, before we jump in, just a couple quick words about parables. All right, parables are just parables we have record going back thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Uh, every recorded people group uh, that we can see uh, and that we have evidence of had parables. They had stories that communicated uh, truth. And so parables, what it is, it's a, it's a small story that, creates, uh, that communicates a very big idea. And so it's told in such a way that the simple can understand it, that children can often understand it, but it's layered with meaning and it's true in such a way that it, it challenges even the most wise, right? even those who think on the most, most complex level. And Jesus used parables all the time. In fact, he was the master storyteller. And even if you never um, grew up going to church and this is very new to you and you're checking this out and you really haven't read the Bible, chances are you have actually heard, thousands of years later, some of Jesus' parables, stories that he told, right? Chances are you've heard of stories like the Good Samaritan, 
or, or like the prodigal son. Right? These, are, these are incredible stories that we still have circulating that we know 4,000 years later. And so Jesus told them often. And oftentimes it's because many of the people that Jesus chose to spend his time with were not the educated, the wise, right? the people who were flashy and, and you would maybe assume deserved God's attention. But it was with the simple. It was with the blue-collar workers. It was with the poor and the destitute. And so Jesus communicated truth in a way that they could understand in stories. And one of the things that we need to do whenever you're reading a story that Jesus tells is Jesus never used parables to introduce new doctrine. These are simple stories. Oftentimes they're very short stories. And so the purpose of the stories, the way Jesus tells them, is to give us color and layer and meaning, almost like a film around an idea, a truth that's already found in the scriptures. And Jesus is going to illuminate what's already there for us. So that being said, uh, Luke 13, beginning in verse 6, this is what it says. It says, Then Jesus told them this parable. He said, A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. Right, that's, that's the whole story. Right, some parables kind of work its way around to the truth. Right, Soren Kierkegaard, a, a, a Danish philosopher, he, he said like, parables, the stories that Jesus tells sometimes sneak up on us. Right, they're like ninjas. Right, they present truth in a way that we didn't see coming. Uh, and cut to the heart in that sense, even when we're calloused. But some of them are straight shooters, and this parable is a straight shooter. And the question that this parable is seeking to answer is, does God care about the fruit of our life? Does God care about results? Right? And the very clear, very obvious, straightforward answer is yes. Yes, he does. Jesus cares about effectiveness. He cares about results. He, he cares about uh, the fruit of of our life. In fact, if you want to do an interesting study to those of you who are overachievers and didn't run the marathon today, we're missing some overachievers, I'm guessing, this morning. But if you if you want to do a personal study, very interesting, just get online, hop on BibleGateway.com or any of the online Bibles, and do a, a word search for fruit or fruitfulness, and look about how it's how it's used to describe uh, how it's to flesh out in the life of the believer, and you will be overwhelmed by what you see, and you'll see the same thing over and over and over, that God has created you and I with this creative, generative quality, that there is to be an overflow of our life, that God seeks and desires not just to do a profound work in our lives, but through our lives as well. So one of the things that we're going to be doing, just so you know, over the next few weeks is connecting this idea of being and who God has created you to be to our five core values that really propel us forward as a church and shape everything that we do. And this is the reason that one of our core values, one of our five core values, is that creativity is a natural result of spirituality. Creativity is a natural result of spirituality. Now that might sound a little new agey, right? but it's not. It's really just another way of saying, when you connect to God, stuff happens. Right? When you connect to God, and you begin to live in who He's created you to be, there is an overflow through your life. You become a paintbrush in the, in the hands of the master artist. And God desires to not just do a profound work in here, not just to recreate who we are, but 
but to use us in this process of redemption and recreation and creating beauty in this world. Right, so if we strip, if we strip the spiritual language from this idea, this fruit, what is fruit? Right, fruit, fruit at its root, it's really, it's good works. Right, that's all it is. It's good works. Right, it, it's living your life in such a way that when this life is over, people actually miss you, right, because you were a gift to them, because you came alongside them and offered a friendship and grace and love and counsel, right, that you were there when they needed you that you've spoken of their life in a way that made sense, that you were there to help serve them, that you were a channel for God's grace. That in your life you didn't just consume and consume and consume, but that you actually served and created. And this is, by the way, just a point of distinction that we need to make. Is that this is very, very different from religion. Right? And so we need to say this, because religion is all the same. This is where Jesus and religion part ways. Religion essentially says, you know, you are saved by good works. Or you are saved by doing good things. And that if you do enough good things and avoid enough of the bad things, right, when this life is over, God judges on a curve. As long as you're in the upper echelon, whatever, you're okay. You're fine. Right, so you're saved by good works. But that's not what we believe at all. Because that's not what the Bible teaches at all. That's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is not that you're saved by what you do, but rather you're saved solely by God's grace in order to do good works. Or that you're not saved by what you do, but you are saved to do good, to create in and through your life. But for some of us, and especially those of us who have grown up in church, we have come to this messed up understanding of what it means to be Christian. And, and having grown up in the church and being a pastor's kid and being around this whole deal, I, I've seen this time and time again where we come to adopt this understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. And essentially, what it is, is this idea that you trust your life to Jesus, you accept him into your heart, you know, whatever, use whatever verbiage you have there, you ask for his forgiveness, and then when you die, you get to go to heaven. And that's almost true. Almost true, but it's missing a really big piece. Everything in between. Life. Life, it's missing this whole piece. You don't just commit your life to Jesus and then when you die, you go to heaven. There's life to be lived. There are things to be created. There are things that God wants to do in and through your life. And when we adopt this mentality, something starts to happen. Uh-oh, you're painting some Okay. This is what happens. This becomes our mentality. This is how we approach God. This is how we approach Jesus. This is how we approach His church. Is with this shopping cart mentality. This is how we come before Him all the time. And our posture is, what can I get? What have you done for me lately? Right? What, what, what do I get out of this? How can you serve my needs? Right? When it comes to church life, right? this is pandemic. I mean, this is... This is, this is Encapsulated in this idea of, you know, all right, this is this is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. This is this is the style of worship yeah, that I want. Right? This is this is the niche program that was a part of a church I was at, but I didn't stay at, but I want now for you to provide for me. Right? This is the kind of the kind of pastor that I want, right? Not too old, not too young, one that's compelling but not too showy, right? One that's not too serious but not too funny either. But this kind of teaching that I want needs to be deep. Right? I need to be fed. Feed me. Right, this is the kind of kids program that I want for my kids. 
and I'm expecting you to provide it for me. Or this is, I, I really need a, a, a small group for middle-aged women on Thursday nights, but it has to start after 8. Provide that now. <laughs> you know? This is kind of worship experience. I, I want my pastor to preach on this issue because it's important to me, but boy, I don't like him teaching on this issue. So uh, if he does, I'm leaving. Right? It's, it, it, the details are different. But the mentality, this shopping cart mentality is the same. It's all about me, me, me. What do I get out of this? Right? These, are, these are the takers. Right? These are the people that if you were to ask them, uh, you know, they'd say, you know, do you take? Yep. But do you give? No. Right? Uh, are you served? Yep. Do you serve? No. You know, do you consume what others are creating? Yep. Are you a part of creating anything for others yourself? No. Do you glean from the gifts and the talents and the money and the investment and the passions of other people? Yep. Are you giving any of those things to God and other people? No. Nope. Right, this, is, this is the shopping cart mentality. It's this posture before God where it's all about us. What can we get? What are you doing? What are you doing for me? How is this going to meet my needs? Now listen, if you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, right? you're here asking questions, journeying, this is new, you need to know that this doesn't apply to you. Or this doesn't apply to you. Even though you have been created just as creatively to create, this is a faithfulness issue to those of us who follow Jesus. Right? He calls us to a certain thing. And if you're not there yet, then this doesn't apply to you. Right? So you just need to know, we love you, be here, consume, right? That's okay. Right? For some of you, if you're a new believer, and this whole following Jesus thing is new, right, we get it. Right? You're, you're trying to get your life together, you're catching up, figuring this thing out. That's alright, this doesn't apply to you. Right? You need to move from consuming to creating as quickly as possible, but we understand it's a process. Right? If you're a guest and you're checking out Mosaic and trying to figure out, is this a church home for me? Like, Can this be home? Is this a place where I can root myself and serve? We get it. Take your time. Right? But, but if you call Mosaic home and you've been a believer for some time, and this is still your mentality before God, you've got to go past that. God has so much more for you. Right? This, is, this is a maturity thing. Right? When you're young, when you're a child, somebody else feeds you. But when you grow up, you feed yourself. And you feed, then you have kids, and then you feed others. Right? It's the same way spiritually. Like God has so much for you. And truth is, there's a bit of apologizing I think we need to make as a church in the U.S. because we have not done a good job about being honest about this. I, I, the truth is, uh, for many churches, and I can say this as a pastor, there's, there's this interconnection between finding your value and identity and how good things are going. You know, and, and so there's, there's this beast of a thing inside my chest that wants a big church, you know, that wants to feel like I'm good at this. You know, that wants to find my identity and value in what's happening here. And I think sometimes in churches our focus is more on retaining people and getting them to stay than really helping them and telling them the truth. And it's brutal. I was up at Minneapolis, in Minneapolis and Bethel this week and having a conversation with a guy who's a part of a big church, like 4,000 people. He's an associate pastor there. And we were talking. And I love meeting other pastors because I have a lot to learn. I'm young. And so I love picking their brain about where they're at and what they've learned along the way and what's working and what their city is like and their church is like. And so we're talking. And I just asked him, you know, what's happening? How are things going? And, and he shared with me, things are not good. You know, we're a church of 4,000 people. He said, we, uh, we are way under budget. We're having to fire a lot of staff. Um, we cannot seem to gain enough volunteers to sustain the ministries that we already have. 
he said, we're kind of going through this identity crisis and things are really not good. And I was like, man, I'm sorry. But then he stopped me and said, however, what we're really good at, what we're really good at is making disciples. He said, you know, our people, they know the Bible. They have a lot of knowledge. I mean, they really know the scriptures. And he, and he went on to tell me with a lot of pride about how many people in their church are studying Greek so they can read the New Testament in its original language. And he continued to tell me, like, we're so good at making disciples. And I just want to, you know, I didn't say this because, you know, he's a brother and I don't, didn't really know him. But I want to be like, dude, newsflash, you are not making disciples. You know, disciples, Jesus' message to his disciples was essentially, here's how to die well. Right? It's going to cost you everything. You're going to suffer like I'm suffering. And almost all of them did. And they died. And, we have, and we've been framing this conversation about what it means to follow Jesus, be a Christian, discipleship. In terms of knowledge, like we call ourselves a disciple, but we don't. We're not faithful with our money, with our talent, with our time, with our passions, with our relationships. We're not faithful. That's not discipleship. And this is one of the reasons that drives me nuts when people say they're church shopping. Because this is the mentality. Like, literally. Yeah, we're church shopping right now. And I just want to be like, what? You're church shopping? Like you shop for a pair of jeans? I hope you find a good deal. You know, something that looks nice, it's very trimming, doesn't break the bank. You know, it's just total butts up against this, this picture that we're given of what it means to follow Jesus. You know, last Sunday I got an email, uh, and I didn't get it until the evening, but somebody emailed me Sunday morning. And they said... Will you please tell me where you guys are located at? Because I'm Googling you, and there's four locations that are popping up. And uh, just email me. You know, so I emailed him back. He's like, hey, I'm so sorry. Did you find us? And this guy emails me back, and, he said, and uh, he's noticeably angry. You know, and he says, no, I didn't. So I went to my usual church, and maybe I'll come check it out if I can ever find it. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And so I emailed him back, and I said, <laughs> I said, you know, I'm so thankful to hear you already have a church home. God bless. Right? I mean, maybe I need to repent for that. You know, maybe I just misread that whole email. But it just seemed like how quickly we owed him something. You know, as if we are here for him. Like, this is about him. Right? This is consumer Christianity at its worst. It is this mentality. What do I get? What have you done for me lately? It's all about me, me, me. It's epidemic. Honestly, it's killing churches. 3,000 a year in the U.S. alone. Killing churches. Because people come in and they suck resources. They don't give, they don't contribute, they just suck, suck, suck. They suck, literally, resources. And it, it's like unsustainable. Right? And so and then, then you start playing to their needs and trying to give them what they want. It's just sucking, sucking, sucking. And it's, it's pandemic. And honestly, I avoid those people like the plague. And I want to show them grace. But in a new church... We can't afford that. Like, we're looking for people who are willing to follow Jesus and to serve, because ultimately it is not about us. Right? The mission, the needs of the city of Lincoln are way too great right, for us to be fighting over the scraps and thinking for a second that this is really about us. Right? These are these people that bounce from church to church to church. You know the kind? I've been to 12 churches in 10 years. Church to church to church because it's never good enough. Right? It's never this enough, that enough, this enough. I mean, if that's you... Just think for a moment, the common denominator there is you. The only constant variable in all those churches you left that weren't good enough is you. It's probably not those churches. Right, we, need to, we need to own this. And move away from being just a consumer 
consumer, consumer, to being an artist, to being a creator, to being generative, right? to, to allow God to create fruit through our lives. Because ultimately, this life is not about commit my life to Jesus, I'm forgiven, I go to heaven. Right? It's about committing my life to Jesus, living a fruitful life, going to heaven, and enjoying an eternal reward. Right? God doesn't just want to do a profound work in you. He wants to do a profound work through you. And it's not so that you can be saved. It's because you are saved. Because you are saved, God wants to use you in an incredible way. Your life is too important to waste. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this. And if you would, actually, why don't we all read this together? Going old school here, all right? <laughs> For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared for us to do. Isn't that great? You've heard me quote that probably so many times if you've been coming here for a while. But it's at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. It's not by works that we're saved. But we're saved for good works. Good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So let's extend this analogy a little bit. Right? I'm a tree. You're a tree. Right? She's a tree. He's a tree. We're all trees. This is a vineyard. This is God's vineyard. The Mosaic family is. And this picture that we're given in this parable of going and assessing the fruitfulness of this tree is intentionality and paying attention. Right, so we're given this picture of this guy who's managing this vineyard. And he's going through and he goes to tree number 27. He says, huh, didn't produce fruit last year. Didn't pr produce fruit the year before that. This is the third year in a row. Hasn't produced fruit. Do we cut it down? Do we give it more time and attention? What do we do here? Because it's not producing fruit. Right, we are all fig trees. And so part of being responsible, being generative, creative people, a creative community through, God is, through which God is creating fruit is saying, okay, how are we doing? Right? Did we produce figs last year? And how many? What kind of fruit is being produced through this community? Is it good fruit? Right? We've been very blessed. I mean, we're 14 months into this thing. There's a lot of pruning to do. We're growing. Um, a lot of things we can do better, and we're working on those things. But man, in 14 months, God has been so incredibly good. You know, we've seen a few dozen people commit their lives to Christ and come to know just God's grace and goodness over the past 14 months, which is just incredible. People all over the spiritual spectrum, Buddhists, atheists, you name it, everything in between. So awesome. Right? We've seen beat up and burnt out pastors and missionaries experience healing, have to get on their feet, serve God again. We've seen people grow, connecting in life groups, beginning to follow Jesus together. We've seen the poor uh, being served in really cool ways. We've seen people develop and lead and begin to serve and create. And, and financially, we're not killing it by any means, but we're okay. You know, because we've, we've been frugal and wise with our budget. Uh, we're ahead of budget 14 months in, which is unheard of for a church plan. That's only 14% of churches can say that over the last year. We started a church in the recession. You know, bad time to start a church, but God has been so good and so faithful. And I'm so, there's so much to celebrate there. But the question I want to challenge you this morning is to assess this for yourself. Because this isn't just a community-wide thing, but it's a personal thing. Right? We need to look at ourselves. What kind of figs are we producing, if any? Right? Rewind the clock, just a year. Right? So May 2011. Reflect over the past 12 months. And ask yourself, what kind of fruit has been created in your life? Is there fruitfulness 
as a result of your faith? Right? Is, that, is it something you're giving away that's being produced? Or is it just consumption, consuming? Um, if this is a metaphor, a visual, of a lack of faithfulness, unfaithfulness, right? I want to give you another metaphor, a very different metaphor, of what faithfulness looks like. Very different. Shovel. Shovel mentality. Shopping cart mentality. Very different. Very different. If this isn't sexy enough for you, think paintbrush. Right? Create a community. <laughs> but generative. Hard work. Serving. Very, very different. Shopping cart mentality asks, how can this church serve me? Shovel mentality. How can I serve Christ's mission through this church? Shopping cart mentality, how does this church meet my needs? Shovel mentality, what needs exist and how can I begin to meet them? Shopping cart mentality, church is where I go to get fed. Shop, uh, shovel mentality, church is the people I give my life away with. Very, very different. Completely different. But this is the call of following Jesus. It's generative. It's creative. It's blisters and blood and sweat and at times tears and hard work. But because the need is so great. This is the call to follow Jesus, not this. And, and here's the thing. This is, if you're, and you've got to get honest about this, if this is primarily then your posture towards Jesus and his church, just own it. Get honest about it. I would venture to guess that every single one of us has an area of our lives where we've been doing this, the shopping cart. Where we have not been fruitful. Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe it's in a relationship with somebody who doesn't know Christ or someone who does. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's a passion, a talent that you haven't been using in a way to serve God's purposes. But I venture to guess that every single one of us, if we're prayerful, if we're honest, can identify one area of our lives where we need to put the shopping cart away. That's God's word to you today. Put the shopping cart away and pick up the shovel. So which one are you? That's my question for you. Um, and then I love this. And this is, uh, worship team, you can come on up. I love how this parable ends. Because it's a beautiful picture of uh, moving away from our posture towards God, but now focusing on God's posture towards us. And this is what it says, verse 7. It says, so he said to the man who took, took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any, so cut it down. Why should he use up the soil? But listen to what the owner of the vineyard says. This is what God says. No, leave it alone for one more year. And I'll dig around it. And I'll fertilize it. Right? This, is a, this is a message of hope. God's desire for your life is not to cut you down and throw you into the fire. That's not God's response. God is far more patient than we are with ourselves and with one another. Right? His wick is slow to anger. And God says, no, 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 no. Let's not cut it down and put it in the fire. Let's not replant. Let's give it more time and attention. Let's give it more care. Let's give it one more year. Let's, listen, as long as you have breath in your lungs, it is not too late to begin to live the life that you were created to live. But it begins with getting honest. right? Because God's heart for you, it's God, God's desire for you, is not just to lackadaisically go through life and cash in your chips, but for you to live a fruitful life so you can share in the joy of what it means for God to use you in a profound and creative way.
Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you in prayer, Holy Spirit, I ask that right now you would be speaking to every single person in this room. You'd be speaking to us and help us take the scales off our eyes and reveal to us, show us that area in our lives, those areas where we have been unfaithful, where we have taken and taken and taken but refused to give. Areas that have not been fruitful that you desire to produce a harvest in and through. Holy Spirit, right now, reveal those things to each one of us. And Lord God, we ask that as we as a community seek to be more faithful and more fruitful in our serving you and serving other people, we ask that you would produce such an incredible harvest in this city, that you would continue to change lives with the message and movement of Jesus, that people, men and women, would come to know the grace and the forgiveness and the love and the light that is in you and you alone. We're asking for more, Father, for us and for your capital C church in this city, that you would do such an amazing, profound work in the days and weeks and months to come. And God, as we do that, we just look back and thank you for the incredible harvest that you've already been producing, this incredible uh, vineyard that you've been cultivating in this community of Mosaic. God, we're asking for more. We're thanking you and praising you for what you've done already. And Lord, as we come before you now, we just ask that you would continue to speak into our hearts regarding this, areas that you desire to do something new and fresh. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.